Hey friends, you are listening to How to Live the Podcast, where we have real, meaningful and fun conversations with people who inspire us. And sometimes we just have them with each other. We are your hosts, Jess and Steph Dadon. And by now, I really hope you know we're on a podcast break because we have been on one since the end of last year. Since we've been gone, we have been giving you some of our favorite episodes from the archives every two weeks. Today is no different. Today, we will be replaying our episode with spiritually sassy teacher, Sa DeSimone. This was an episode that was totally life-changing for us. Sa is such an incredible teacher with so much wisdom to share, but he shares it all with a little bit of sass, a little bit of dance, a little bit of a click, and he just makes it so much fun and so, so relatable. So we really hope you enjoy this episode with Sa de Simone. We are such super fans of you. So this is like a very, very surreal moment and we are very excited. So excited. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Amazing. How you doing? How was your run? Oh my God. I'm all sweaty. I'm trying to get ready for you guys, but there was no time. <laughs> I literally just changed my shirt and I was like, okay, head, find the headphones, eat some peanut butter, get some blueberries in there, get some water. And here we are. All oh, the important good one. Stuff. Well, I actually did shower for you this morning. Like I said to my boyfriend, we're interviewing Sa today. Do you think I should shower? And he was like, yeah, I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. So fun. Well, it's really funny because we were actually just watching your Insta stories and we saw that you were talking about TikTok. And one of our yeah. first questions that we wanted to ask you was, can you give us a good tip of how to film a good TikTok? Because you've gone viral so many times and your videos are so fun to watch. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. Uh, to be honest with you, I had a friend in December who said, Sai, she got on TikTok. She got on TikTok. And I was like, I have so much going on right now. I'm launching this online course. I'm here with my mom helping her during her cancer battle. But I do know that when her and I are dancing together, how much joy it awakens in her, how much joy it awakens in me. So we put that video up and that just like went full power. Honestly, I love TikTok and I'm so honored to be have this partnership with them now. Because it's so relatable. It's so down to earth. I feel like so much on IG, sometimes it could be sort of like a mask, only showing the best parts of your life and not really letting the hair down and be like, yo, shit's crazy today. What's good? Uh, and on TikTok, it's all about that, you know? But I also wanted to ask you about how do you find that balance in social media? Because I found in lockdown, I've been on Instagram and TikTok heaps way more than usual. And when I'm on it, I'm coming up with all these ideas and you get caught up in external validation and your brain's buzzing. How do you balance that and using the platforms with also quiet time and going inwards? This whole thing started for me with having to have discipline, you know, I have discipline with my practice, you know, and people are like, oh, discipline is so boring. It's like, you know, there comes a point where you really do crave that place within you. It's like a sense of belonging in yourself. What I do all the time, and I tell my, my students that I work closely with, set a timer for everything. I'm the person who like puts an hour and a half on the phone to get emails. And then I pause, I go on a run. And I do another hour and a half and I do this and maybe put an hour on TikTok and just, you know, enjoy that. Get inspired because I also go into that rabbit hole. But then I set these perimeters that helped me to stay on track. And I've had to have this discipline because if it wasn't for this discipline, I wouldn't be able to be here today, you know. 
Mm, I love hearing that because when you're seeing somebody else's world, when I'm watching you, I'm not seeing that discipline. So I'm like, well, SARS all over Instagram, TikTok. I should be able to be all over it as well. <laughs> and, and yeah, and have good mental health at the same time. Yeah, like it's so cool to get that insight. Don't think about external realities that you're seeing. Think about what you need. We all do need discipline. That's awesome advice. Yeah. And start with just a little bit of discipline. One thing I talk about all the time is, can you wake up in the morning? I say a couple of vows in the morning. You know, I say something that people may perceive as a little bit bit morbid, but I say, because I'm going to die soon, may I only do things that matter most to myself, that to be of most benefit to as many people as possible. Uh, And that sort of redirects the mind, right? May I only do the things that matter most and to help as many people as possible, because I, I might die today, I might die soon. And after that vow, brush my teeth, do my thing in the bathroom and then meditate and then check my phone. So start with that. Can the morning, can like the first hour or first 30 minutes be phone list, airplane mode kind of a morning or the last hour of the night before drifting off. Pick your poison, right? Don't be on hooked on it, on IV all day, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that's so important. I feel like since all of this madness of us like staying at home, I've started being on my phone the second I like open my eyes, go to my phone. And then I meditate after that. And my meditation is so wild and wired because I've just scrolled for 20 (laughs) minutes before getting quiet. And so this week I was like, enough, you need to stop. So I started leaving it on airplane mode. It's so simple, but it makes such a big difference. I agree. Sometimes their meditation practice is really chaotic inside, you know, and to not be discouraged. I think a lot of people get so discouraged with like, oh, it's so busy in there. It's so loud. I have so many thoughts. I'm like, honey, you're already meditating. You're aware of what's going on in your internal world. That means you're practicing. That means you're actually progressing. So we would love for you to just start off by telling us or for people that don't necessarily know you, what is the SAR method? Oh, shit, honey. (laughs) There's many layers to the story, right? The sun method came together because I was missing something so important for the healing path, which is playfulness, which is like an ability to like laugh at myself and laugh at how ridiculous it is looking from the outside and seeing all the things we have to do to really just be more centered and be more sane. I had sort of lost that key piece to the healing path. I was progressing in many different areas, but there's one key element you know, the aspect of joy, the aspect of like just really flowing, I had become this serious practitioner. So I started to sort of develop. And I think a lot of people who are on a spiritual path feel like this forced seriousness. The more awakened they are, the more they're like, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't laugh out loud. I don't dance like this. I don't listen to that. Like, like, bitch, spiritual bypassing. That's what you're doing, honey. You're not progressing. You're bypassing, (laughs) you know? So I was missing a huge part of the puzzle. And through all the journey to traveling and living in all these different places, I started to sort of collect all this, the information and start to rebuild myself with joy. And then earlier in January, Deepak Chopra's team said, Sa, can you teach this thing that you do on Instagram? And I was like, this like movement practice that I just do for myself, that I don't have a term for, that I don't have a methodology for, that I don't have anything to go with. I'm just flowing. They're like, yeah. I was like, oh, honey, shit, this is Deepak Chopra's people. This is like a legend, you know, asking me to be part of his retreat, teaching this thing. And I was like, okay, I got you. So I started to think about where does joy live in our heart, right? At the base of our being, in our essence. It's not circumstantial. It's unconditional. It's unwavering. It's there because we are there. It doesn't require anything outside of us to exist. 
So I looked at Buddhist psychology and what the Buddha showed is that at the base of our being, at who we are, right there at the core, at the center of our being, we have four main qualities, love, compassion, wisdom, and joy. So I structured the method around these four main qualities. So during the hour-long method, we are meditating for a few minutes and then we dance to compassion. And then we meditate for a bit and then we dance to uh, love. And then we meditate for a bit and then we dance to joy and then meditate. And then we do more like a breathing extended meditation practice for the wisdom part. So the sound method is a combination of meditation, dance, breath work, and mantra practice. And the purpose of it is to awaken these forming qualities of the heart. And you awaken love, joy comes. It's not that the four directions of the heart, you awaken one and you leave the, the other ones stay home. No, they all sort of come in a path. It just looks like so much fun and nothing that we've ever seen on our own spiritual journeys. You were actually doing one live last weekend and I really wanted to come, but it was 4 a.m. Australia time. And for a moment, I was like, maybe I'll set an alarm and go. And I was like, oh, no, it's a bit much. So I'm hoping that at some point the time zones correlate and then we will definitely jump on. I would love that. Actually, going on my own spiritual journey last year, I did get really serious. I can really relate to what you're saying because a lot of it is going inwards. You're looking at your mental health. There is a kind of a serious note to it often at first. And then actually over New Year's, I set an intention that I wanted to bring joy into it, but I hadn't really found how. So I feel like you coming into my life and bringing this is just such amazing timing because you're showing people that it doesn't all have to be so fucking serious all the time. Like having fun and being joyful is such an important part of this journey. Hell yeah. And we want to kind of hear about your journey. You know, it sounds like you went through a bit of an eat, pray, love yourself. Oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) We would love to hear about it and what your life kind of looked like before all of this. Oh, shit. Okay. So, Quick backstory. Our family moved to Brazil when I was 16, lived in Tampa, Florida. Complete nightmare. I was living multiple lives as a queer young person of color in in Tampa, Florida. I was like someone in the morning with my parents, someone at lunch break, someone in the late afternoon and someone at night. I was living multiple different lives. And I think a lot of people from marginalized communities can relate to having to live multiple different lives in one all these little bits of lies to try to feel love and support and feel like you belong. So that was Tampa, Florida, straight up chaotic. I needed to get the fuck out of there as soon as I could. So moved to LA when I was 19, lived in LA from 19 to 21 and got really deep into the party scene. One of my roommates, he was a drug dealer. So we had access to all kinds of different shit all the time on tap. And then we all got in this big fight. And then I moved to New York and started going to, FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, and then uh, started interning for Interview Magazine. And interning also is full power. I sort of have this like radical mindset where I go into like full thing, you know, all the way in. I was interning for Christian Siriano. Do you guys remember him? Yeah. I used to love, uh, oh my God, like when he finished Project One Way, those big hats, those gowns, all of it. I was like, McQueen is back. My God. So I was interning for Christian Siriano, going to FIT part-time and interning for Interview Magazine. And then he was designing this while McQueen was still alive because when McQueen died, and I know you guys can relate, I'm sure you knew exactly where you were. I was on my way to the tent for New York Fashion Week and 
a friend of mine called me and said, hey, Sai, I have this idea. You should join us. We want to start a media platform, a magazine called Bullet Magazine. So I was 23, had no fucking clue what I was doing. I just had access to creativity. Now, that was something that my parents always supported me, although they didn't really support many different parts of myself. But this one part, they really cultivated. They really nurtured that part of myself. So we did. And within six months, we had like Louis Vuitton in perpetuity as an advertiser. We were sold out, 12 countries, blah, 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 50,000 issues. The whole thing was like cracked out. And I was like, oh my God. But inside, you know, homegirl was crumbling, depression, anxiety, addiction, but a high performer, right? Nothing on the outside. No one could tell that I was like literally crunchy as fuck in the inside, crumbling not really aware of it because the vocabulary about mental health, spirituality, holistic healing, none of it was around. It was like, what do you have to show for and how much more you have to show for it? That's how it dictates your happiness, the quality of your mind, whatever. So November 22nd, 2012, I leave the fashion industry. So that's when I decided to really like look inside, you know, really make a change and really like my healing journey begun. And that's when I bought a one-way ticket to India did a 10-day silent retreat in the north of the Himalayas. And then that fall, I went to Nepal the first time. And I did a 30-day meditation retreat. And the rest was history. Like, during that 30-day meditation retreat, that's when everything changed for me. That's when I said, oh, my God. I have been such a fucking asshole. Whoa. Oh, my God. I've been causing so much harm, so much pain. I've been causing pain to other people, pain to myself. Wow. That moment that you talk about where you've been living this life and you've been somewhere within you knowing that things aren't okay but not really acknowledging it and that moment where you discover a meditation or a retreat or something and you're just like, whoa, there's this whole world that I have not known about or like I've heard about it but I didn't really get it. That is such a powerful transformative moment in life, right? Oh my God. And I hope everyone recognizes that, that these moments happen to all of us. I think what happens so often, we take these moments of insight for granted. We're like, oh, next. Instead of like pausing, rejoicing, dancing to it, laughing at it, laughing with it, calling somebody, telling, like really acknowledging that that insight happened at that oh, wow, I'm no longer that person. I'm seeing the world through a different lens. So from that initial journey that you embarked on where you started to delve into yourself and found your core being, you actually ended up then also turning this spirituality and all of your findings into your life's work. So was that a total aha moment for you where you were like, this is what I have to do and I have to give it to others? Or how did that journey unfold? Great question. No, not at all. I was still very selfish. I was like, I want to be better for myself. And the many teachers on the journey said, girl, you're going to teach. So keep going. And you should probably start now. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, honey. No, this is for me. But slowly, slowly from living in different ashrams, monasteries, retreat centers, it just kind of like happened. I was living at the Omega Institute of State New York. And there's sometimes... 50 to like 150 people who lived there full time was the staff. And I was a volunteer at the cafe. I was in between my travels, had no idea what I was doing, living totally like nomadic, full on gypsy. And I started sharing some of the things that were helping me with uh, another friend who was working at the cafe. And she was like, honey, 
this is really good stuff. You should really teach it. And I was like, teach here at the Omega Institute? Like, this is where the legends teach. She's like, you should have put an application to teach this to the staff, right? You're not going to teach it to, as a presenter to the audience, but you're going to teach it for the staff as a stepping stone for you to teach as a presenter. I was like, okay, fine. So I put an application. This is Thursday to teach a class on a Saturday. And then 30 people showed up. They all said the class was epic. And I was like, oh, it was in that moment. I was like, this is what I need to do. You know, I felt so honored that I could work on myself while being of service to others. And the synergy of like, the more I'm transforming myself, the more I'm helping to transform others, the more I'm helping to transform others, the more I'm transforming myself. It was just this beautiful, sustainable cycle. So that's how it sort of like happened. It was through these teachers telling me stuff and I was like, eh, whatever. And then it was Omega that was like, girl, go. And I did it and then started to take place. And be what it's at now. <laughs> it's kind of cool that you said that it started as a selfish journey. Because I feel like often it kind of has to start with looking at yourself, with going inwards. Otherwise, if you're kind of doing it for others from the beginning, you're not really going to process what you need to process and get through that. I feel like with mental health, you said you had like anxiety, depression, addiction. And I feel like mental health can feel so serious when we're in it. And often in the West, particularly, we treat it with psychology, psychiatry, which is obviously so necessary. But do you feel like there's kind of room for like fun and lightness in that in treating mental health? Yeah. And I I also think there is not only fun and lightness into that space. And also, we always need to like, see what's working for us and see when we have reached a plateau. You know, I have seen a lot of my students who have private students who have gone to therapy for many, many years. And then in a few different sessions where we're working with like a breathing technique or we're working with a meditation practice or they're really training their mind with specific mantras, how the stuff that therapy hasn't worked on, hasn't gone to that space where these ancient spiritual practices really help. And through noticing that, that's when I started to study contemplative psychotherapy which is traditional psychotherapy mixed with tantric Buddhism coming together. And the room was packed with like neuroscientists, psychiatrists, psychologists. And in me, like, oh shit, I won't be studying tantric Buddhism. I just think the stuff works, you know, to really just get the feel, to understand like what traditional analysis of the mind shows versus what the ancient mystics have shown. So I think talk therapy can only go so far. And I say this and it sounds edgy for people to hear, but I can handle it. I think we need actionable steps looking at cognitive behavioral therapy. That's, I think, like a higher vision. Uh, Not to compare, but we have to keep progressing, right? If we're going to our therapist, if we're taking our meds, if we're doing our things, and we're sort of still feeling, thinking, and acting in the same way that we did six months ago or a year ago, something's got to change. If the reactivity circuit still playing out, and I say circuit, actually meaning a circus, if it's still the same, if you're feeling, thinking, and acting in the same way you did six months ago or a year ago, something's got to change, you know? The plateau in healing and transformation is very real. I reached a plateau not too long ago. I had to go off into this retreat alone. I've never gone into retreat alone. My teacher said, honey, it's time for you to go into a retreat alone. All the retreats I've done was with groups of people. This is alone, and it was like really scary shit. I think we need medication, we need therapy, and, you know, and, you need to find the end. 
And I think the end sometimes looks down upon ancient practices. I know we're looking at meditation as the end all goal, but when you look at meditation through the ancient literature, where it comes from, it's just one aspect. You need to be reading things that help to replant the garden of your mind with things that will really are awaken your heart. And then you need to be acting in the world as a better person. You know, transformation has three main pillars. You need to learn, you need to practice, you need to act. I think a lot of people stay at this place of just, I just need to do my meditation, things which change. It's like, no, honey, that's not how it works, Bill. It's not enough. I love everything of what you said there. And I feel like it's very true to my journey and also probably to Stephanie's as well. And I feel like talk therapy is really great for allowing you to move through things and move past them, but not necessarily to heal and nurture the wound. And that's definitely in my experience where I've gone through periods where like, yeah, it's like I've moved through so much, but I'm still holding it somewhere else. And that's when it's, well, I'm sitting in meditation and I'm not even aware that I'm holding it somewhere. And that's when it comes up and there's that release. You need to hit it from so many different angles in order for it to actually dissipate and to fully move through. Say it, honey. Oh my God. Everyone echo this time tenfold. <laughs> Lay it down, honey. Stage wisdom right there. Okay, so something else I love that you talk about is joy. And you call yourself a joy activist. So people might look at you and be like, oh my gosh, he's so happy, he's so bubbly, like he's just born glass half full. But can you talk to us about what being a joy activist is? Because I feel like there's so much magic in that. Yes, and thank you for such a delicious question. Being a joy activist doesn't mean that you don't wake up feeling crunchy for no reason. Doesn't mean that you don't have bad thoughts or destructive feelings. It doesn't mean that you don't judge other people. You don't judge yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't have days of being like, what the fuck's going on? Being a joy activist is just continuously choosing the path of the heart. Being aware and then choosing different. It's the end. It's all about the end. Because awareness alone is not enough for so many of us. It's being aware that I feel like shit and what am I going to do about it? Being a joy activist is that choice that you have. When you make a commitment to be a joy activist, it's like, oh, here's a thought. Here's a feeling. Here's this little internal chaos playing out. And you're able to like be with it and giving space for it to transform. But in being with it, you're not becoming it. You know, that's the difference. I think a lot of times being a joy activist is being with your shit, but not becoming it. It doesn't mean that you don't experience shit. It means that your relationship to the internal chaos, your relationship to the noise is changed because the mind is talking to itself all day. Thoughts will think themselves without any help from you, just like feelings, just like destructive emotions. The choice that you make in that moment as it arises, that's what defines who you are. So that's why I call myself a joy activist, because I choose to not be defined by my thoughts, feelings, and emotions that arise. I choose to define myself as the literature speaks and as I'm living proof of it by my heart. So as it's coming up, I'm like, oh, shit, this what's up. How can I offer myself a little bit more compassion? How could I laugh at myself? Because these thoughts are fucking psychotic in the most hilarious way, truly laughing out loud. You know, and I, I challenge people all the time to say, this is really bad right now and really bursting into laughter and just seeing how like chemically, biologically speaking, not even talking about spiritually or psychologically speaking, just notice chemically 
biologically, physiologically, how it changes your neurochemistry if you just laugh at yourself. Or when you go into the mirror and you're like, and you just literally put on a smile on your face, even if you have to force it. Like, mm, what happens physiologically, your body is wired for you to awaken your heart. It's just so simple, but we do everything in our power to complicate the shit, you know? So good. And I feel like I know all this stuff, but so often I forget it and I end up identifying with my thoughts, you know? I keep thinking like, I need to like write on my walls. You are not your thoughts. I feel like I need to write these things. How do you constantly remember and go back to it? Is it just by like practicing it over and over and over again? Do you ever end up identifying with the bullshit? Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So there's a couple of things, right, that we do. Figure out what's the most poisonous weed that grows in the garden of your mind more often. What's the one poison that shows up for you more often? Don't say, I'm going to healing journey. I'm going to work with all these areas. No, 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 honey. Pick one poison. What's that one that shows up for you? Is it the vicious inner critic talking about how you look? Is it how you perceive the world? Is it comparing to competition? Is it jealousy, envy? Is it hopelessness? What is the thing? Pick one thing. Write yourself an affirmative mantra, right? So a mantra that has that power right here, right now to change. And work with that. And really just, but I'm asking you to whisper that thing in your mind all day, every day. And not just when things are bad, but brushing my teeth. May I be happy, healthy, and safe. May I live with these. May I be happy, healthy, and safe. May I live with these. May all beings be happy, healthy, and safe and live with these. Whispering it all the time, what happens, you're literally redesigning the architecture of your brain physiologically. Psychologically, you're bringing a new style of thinking. Spiritually, you're developing your best qualities. You're developing your heart. So I think there's a couple of things. And funny you bring about the mantra because I made a note that I wanted to do a video of my parents' house because from going back during my mama's cancer journey, I literally put so many sticky notes of affirmations everywhere, mantras everywhere. One in the fridge, one in the mirror, one by the sink, one in the living. Like there's so many everywhere. As always, we need to be reminded, right? And nothing goes unseen. We underestimate the fact that like reading a word, looking at something, listening, watching, whatever is meeting the mind is impacting your internal world. So I think one thing is mantras. Hell yeah. Write it, put it in your mirror, put it in your screen, on your phone. And then also have a support system. When things get really crunchy, you guys have each other the same way. Right. I have my siblings like we are literally like, mm. so when things get really crunchy, I know I have a support system. Someone's going to say, bitch, the imposter syndrome is not true. You're good. None of this stuff defines who you are. You're fine. And then, of course, your practice. Right. So breathing is very important. Like the breath. The first video I posted today in partnership with TikTok was a breathing technique, which is the breath is the direct pathway into the present moment, into your heart very fast. Uh, and it's the breathing to awareness of the breath, you know, as a segue from doing breath work, learning to pay attention to the breath is a practice that the historical Buddha used 2,600 years ago. So I think mantra, breath work, having a support system, and then really just concentrating the mind, right? Every day, day in, day out, choosing to five minutes, 10 minutes, build up, build up to meditating, concentrating the mind, choosing to concentrate the mind. Because as you concentrate the mind, the stickiness that these thoughts have and these feelings have we're so caught and they have such a seductive energy, right? Those destructive thoughts and feelings. They have, they're so seductive. They make you both, they invite you in and you take it all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, yes, you wear that old dress. It doesn't even fit you anymore. But you're like, it's me. And you're like, no, girl, <laughs> that don't fit your shit anymore. What are you doing? Take that shit off. Like that was your prom from 10 years ago. Take that shit off. 
but you do it anyway. So concentrating the mind gives you access to that internal space, gives you access to, as you put on the dress, you know, and I'm using the dress as a metaphor to like a destructive thought or destructive feeling. As you put it on and you overly identify with your trauma, you overly identify with these destructive feelings, thoughts, and emotions, you're able to be like, oh, okay, I did that for a minute. That was cute. Now take it off. Back. And don't take it to goodwill, honey. Set that shit on fire. <laughs> Google don't need that shit. Set that shit on fire. And don't you go over to Private 21 to buy a new one. <laughs> Sew that shit up yourself, honey. Make that new dress yourself. That's the important thing. Yes, I love that. That is the best <laughs> metaphor. That is so good. I think it's fitting for us, all fashion people. <laughs> oh, totally. I know. I love that we've all been on this same journey of the fashion and then the awakening. So good. You got to try and marry the two, right? That's what we're going through at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only way. Yeah, exactly. In line with what you're saying, I feel like this judgmental of people. So it's definitely something that so many people, but definitely I struggle with as well. And particularly talking of fashion industry, being judgmental. Exactly. I want to try and actively stop being as judgmental and like I'll start the day with it. And then like Steph was saying, you know, with anything, you just lose it. And then you see something and text it to Steph. Oh my God, did you see this? And I'm like, oops, sorry. Like wasn't supposed to do that. Take it back. You know, but it's so hard because it's just how we've all lived our lives for so long right like that's what we do it's inherent in us so can we talk a bit about starting to reverse that process as well and maybe like moving through that and getting over it because it's not productive it's not and i love the word choice they use like inherent versus innate right inherent could be understood as like conditioned innate is like there at the base of your being it's like your essence so, like, even the choice of words they use, genius. It wasn't intentional, I assure you. You're a fucking genius, Jeff. <laughs> you guys are both on the stage with it, and we're just going to claim that shit, okay? Right, we'll take it. Everything you're saying here is so delicious. So, there's many ways to look at this. First of all, unwholesome, which is the language that we use, and that's used in the tantric Buddhist literature, which is my practice of study, the lineage that I studied under, that traces back to all the way back to the historical Buddha. It says that unwholesome, destructive qualities, unvirtuous qualities, they're not who we are. Who we are are the wholesome, virtuous, loving, compassionate, joyous qualities. So if we always remember that, that these things, are, they're just here as fuel to help us to redirect our attention back into our hearts. So when competition shows up, we can see, okay, here's a signpost, here's a cue for me to like, go into my heart more. What can I give myself that will help me to enter into that space more? And another thing that we have to always remember too, it's like, this is like such a delicious question to, to break down. Another aspect to bring into the mix is the seed of judgment is in you. You are the one, the seed of anger, the jealousy, the trigger, it's in you. They're simply like a catalyst for a seed that's dormant in the garden of your mind. You know, the seed of judgment, of criticism, of envy, of jealousy, it's in you. They're just a little bit of water and a little bit of sunlight to a seed that's in you. So when you think about every time, this is the foundation teaching, right? This is like being a master gardener of your mind. This is my whole thing. This is like so important. When you recognize that every time you go off and you say to somebody, oh, look at this cracked out bitch, whatever, and judge it, you know, whatever it is. Whatever form of judgment that slips out of your mouth starts in the mind, right? Karma starts in the mind, starts with intention, starts with the direction of your thoughts. 
and then you speak it, then you've have already set in motion for more of these seeds to grow in the garden of your mind. So choosing to zap it as it arises and then choosing to whisper a positive affirmation, a positive message to the garden of your mind, and then choosing to act in service of others, that's the way for you to literally redesign the garden of your mind. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I love how tangible that is. It's not some theoretical wishy-washy like, oh, I don't know how to implement that. That's actually a very easy thing that one could start to do. Remember that we are the masters of our life. We're creating an experience and we are literally, there's no one to blame. We're not the victim of our circumstances. This is something that it's quite challenging for a lot of people, right? And I know we started talking about judgment and look at me talking about victim mindset. I already went all the way far out there, but it's important for us to recognize that like, ain't nobody triggering you, honey. You are triggered because you got shit to work on. That's it. The seed of judgment is in you. Look at that, you know, but then start to notice what is the thing that really like flares me up, that gets me like heated. And then what do you do with that heated energy? Do you go off and do you spill it out on somebody else? Are you leaking, inflicting, bleeding onto other areas of your life? Or are you choosing to immediately like, oh shit, here it goes again, that poisonous weed that I've seen many times. I've been with her many times. You know, I know what the texture of it. And choosing to zap it right there. Keyword, as it arises, take care of it right there. Well, the problem is we do the thing where I get triggered. I put my phone up. Instagram distracts me. TikTok distracts me. And then the seed has already become a sprout, honey. It's already a baby sprout. And then a little bit more judgment a little bit later. One well, Instagram, you didn't even tell anybody. You just saw and you're like, this quick bitch. And again, sprout into a full-blown flower. And then next thing you know, it's a fucking tree in the garden of your mind. And it's there, massive, like overpowering. Like there's no way for the sun to reach all the beautiful other, the air of your garden of your mind that activates your heart. Does that make sense? Very important for us to remember that. Yeah, it just thrives in secrecy. The more you push it down, not even not telling anyone, but not even acknowledging it to yourself, that's what it wants. And so you're like, oh no, I definitely shouldn't be feeling this. And the more you're pushing it down, the bigger it grows. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse. And on this path, I need to say something right now because I've had something going on for me for a week and I haven't discussed it with anyone and it's driving me insane. I feel really competitive with so many people at the moment. I feel like I've been sitting on Instagram and I've been looking at like everybody's achievements and what everybody's doing well and what other brands are doing. And like, I feel like I've just been like growing more and more jealous and it's eating me up inside and I don't know what to do about it. And I just need to release it right here. Say it, honey, let it out. So the mindset of comparison and competition, it traces back to like an idea that there's not enough, right? That like their success taken away from my success. And it sort of goes back to like really stripping away to it. It's believing that in the past, of, as you transform our minds, what happens is we're going to see somebody else's success and we're going to be able to be happy for them. So there's a practice called rejoicing on other people's success. And it's a fucking practice for a reason, right? So one thing that I, I would recommend to you and to anybody, I mean, we all go through phrases like this. And two weeks ago, I could not open my phone because I was a trigger bomb. Everything was annoying me. Everyone, everything. And I was like, girl, go inside. What's going on, honey? Check in with your shit. The still this mess right here. Be set apart. But the technique is to just literally rejoice on their success and say, I'm so happy for your success. You don't just say it out loud. Just say it in your mind. Say it in your mind. I'm so happy for your success. Wow. So happy for your success. 
I keep going back to the metaphor of the garden because it's very important. It's a very simple way to understand the spiritual path. Very, very simple. You're watering the seeds of compassion, of inspiration, of courage, of creativity in the garden of your mind. So when you see someone thrive, you're like, that is something I can do too. It's literally in somebody else's inspiration. It should be capital S, and I'll, and I'll use the S, the should word with intention here, something that awakens in us the courage for us to do something too, you know, not for us to feel small and unworthy and inadequate. And then there is a shame. I'm undeserving. I'm unworthy. I'm inadequate. I'm bad. I can never do that. You know, it's for them. I don't have that. So the practice is rejoicing on other people's success. And then see if you can go as far as rejoice on someone who's close to you. First, rejoice on your family's success. Loving them is easier. So work with that first. So you, you're cultivating that quality because we can't go straight out of the comfort zone into the growth zone, all the way to the overwhelming zone. We can't cross all of it all the way there. You're going to go into overwhelming zone. What happens physiologically? Amygdala is like full on adrenaline, cortisol. You're shut down. You're not progressing anything. So start with the people you love. And then see if you can just like open up to like a stranger. Like you can see someone beautiful on the street and be like, damn, I rejoice in your beauty. Whoa. See someone like thriving on Instagram, a stranger, but you're like, you know, it's not somebody who you know so well, but like they're around your fear. Damn, I, wow, I'm so happy for your success. Okay. And then here's the invitation. Go to somebody who you don't like. Go to that person who you've put in the category, enemy, write them off, bad person. Go to that category. Bring somebody from that category and say, I recognize they're just like me. Everyone wishes for the same two things, to be happy and to be free of suffering. We all want two things, right? To be free of suffering, to be happy. And I'm doing my very best effort. I'm willing, you can say something like that, or you can just go as far and say, I rejoice in your success. You know, I rejoice in your beauty. I rejoice really testing your material. And you can do it on social media. You can do it on the phone. You can do it in meditation. You could, I mean, you, there's a variety of ways. Of it. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I'm going to rejoice in everybody's success. That is so helpful. I'm really glad we spoke about that. Yeah. And that would change your mindset. That would change the way you perceive the world outside. You know, you see someone beautiful, someone successful, someone thriving. It will awaken that in you to create more. And the judgment seed will, will wipe out. And trust me, honey, I'm saying this with personal experience because I used to be the most judgmental queen ever. I used to be critical as fuck. To have that not be like a prevalent thing in my mind anymore. I got so many weeds to work with, but that used to be such a prevalent thing. It's not longer something that I'm constantly working through. You know, the one that comes up for me right now is imposter syndrome. It's feeling like I have all these huge opportunities coming up. And I'm like, ah, oh my God, am I worthy of it? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. That's the one that I dance with more frequently. That's prevalent for me right now. But I hope that's helpful for you. It's really helpful. Thank you so much. And you're right. No matter what level you're at, no matter where you're at in life, you're always dealing with something. And when it comes up, I'm like, why the fuck am I jealous? Like I shouldn't be. And that's the bad part. It's the shutting it down, being open to it, talking about it, putting things in place to deal with it. That's so awesome. Don't judge yourself for having a bad thought. I think that's a huge problem we have because that water is more judgment seed that simple. Hearing you talk about all of it, I feel like there's an overarching theme that's just creating that repetition that really starts to actually change your experience. And I think that that's something that we've both experienced through gratitude. And it's just such a clear one to be like, oh, 
We now have gratitude practices that we practice in the morning and it definitely changes over time your outlook on life and you're able to bring that into your experience. So it makes so much sense to then apply that same theory to all the other things that you wish to transform. Hey, honey. <laughs> Love it. If people don't consider themselves to be spiritual at all, which a year ago I did not, and I was like, what is spirituality? But they're liking the sound of what we're all talking about here. And they're like, okay, I could get some of that. What do you feel like the entry point is? You're not doing any of this stuff. You don't even know about it. What are some steps people can take? I think the first question is ask yourself, are you tired of feeling like shit? Is that on repeat for you? I have people who are like, I'm fine. But then physiologically, they're sick once a month because of stress. They're not aware that they're stressed the fuck out. But their body shuts down once a month and they get sick for three days. Very common, very common in New York City. So ask yourself, you're tired of feeling like shit. Spiritual practices, I mean, there's a variety of entry points. I think first things first that you could do is relearn how to breathe. If you're able to transform the rhythm of your breath, you know, a lot of anxious, depressed people are breathing anywhere from 12 to 16 times per minute, very shallow, very clavicular, very up here. I tell them, take a deep breath in. And they're like, their chest goes up. And I'm like, honey, that is not the breath of enlightenment. That is the breath of anxiety. That's the other way. We got to go this way, boo. Come, <laughs> come, come. So relearn how to breathe is the first step. And the rhythm that we need is four to six times per minute. So it's very disorienting for a lot of people who say, I have an erratic mind. I can never stop thinking. They're fidgety. They're biting their nails. They're itching. They're moving. Their legs are always like this, you know, like that, that kind of energy. The pathway the spiritual path to anything remotely spiritual is to begin with the breath. A simple technique you can do is you can close your right nostril and you can breathe in and out of the left nostril for a count of four, breath in and breath out. And why we close the right and why we only breathe out of the left? This is a technique I learned from a psychoanalyst who's also a neuroscientist. He says that this technique of just breathing in and out of the left nostril it switches on the parasympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system. Therefore, Resting and relaxing, rest, the heartbeat slows down, digestive system kicks in. So breathing is one. And then another thing too, it's like, I always say to people all the time, forgiveness. You want to be just remotely spiritual? The secret sauce or anything remotely spiritual is starting with the breath, but then it's forgiveness. We go through life holding on to so many mini grudges, right? And the mini grudges, they multiply times seven, times 24 hours a day, times 365 days. How many grudges you're holding on to? These are the locks, the shackles, away, keeping away from your heart. So forgiveness, breath and forgiveness. And you could start, and I know forgiveness can be the sort of a far out practice. So maybe pull back, do the breath, and then pick a meditation practice. But the breathing, honey, you have to relearn how to breathe. You want to transform your trauma. You can't look at your traumas without having access to the breath. You can't create space for trauma to arise if you don't have access to, access to your breath, access to a different rhythm, access to a, a healing rhythm of breathing. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. We had our meditation teacher on our podcast a few weeks ago and what she's given us is just totally life-changing. So if people are just listening and they're totally loving, because obviously they are, how could they not? And they just <laughs> like want more sass. Where can they find you? You've got a new book coming out. You've got this spiritually sassy movement. Can you tell us just like a quick rundown so they can find you later? Yeah. Thank you for this opportunity. New book comes out in September and it's called Spiritually Sassy. 
and a place that you can find all the course, the meditations, all the things. It's called the Spiritually Fasted Membership, and it's on myhealingally.com. And it's there we have a well of practices and, and tools and courses and all the things that will get you to, to feel a little bit better and to start doing better in the world, you know, because the whole purpose of human life is for you to feel good and you help others feel good. It's, that's the whole purpose, you know, nothing else. It's, if that's that clear, feel good, help others feel good. When you find a way of doing that, honey, oof, that is you in purpose. And also on Instagram, right? At Sadi Simone and TikTok at Sadi Simone. So all the places. Oh yeah. And you have helped us feel really, really good. So thank you so much. We do wrap up all our interviews with some quick fires. So we would love to fire away you. Oh shit. I'm so bad at those. No. <laughs> They're easy. Don't worry. They're real easy. The first one is what is your favorite book? My favorite book. I'm going to say something that I'm reading right now. The Tibetan book of the dead. I'm really interested in the death process right now. I've gotten really good at living well right now while I'm alive, but no clue what the active process of dying, something that we're all going to experience. I have no idea about it. So that book is, is helping me with that language. Some of your favorite spiritual teachers. His Holiness the Dalai Lama. Oh my God. I saw a photo of you with the Dalai Lama. Yeah. I read you studied with him. Yeah. That photo, it was like baby stop. It was literally the first trip I went to India. And then, like, I leave this 10-day retreat, and then they're like, Fab, the Dalai Lama's going to teach. I was like, way the fuck. And I was able to, like, get a permit and go. And then, of course, I did the fangirl thing where I'm, like, hopping around all over the place, going, sneaking in, hiding, doing all the things I need to do to be able to, you know, get the blessing of his presence. Oh, my goodness. So read his book. Listen to what he's saying, you know? It's quite simple. It really strips away the dogma out of Buddhist practice. What is your favorite song to let loose and have a boogie to? Oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many favorite ones. I would just recommend checking out my playlist, Dance Medicine on Spotify. What's your best hair tip? My mom's going to say, this is gross, but sorry, mom. I only wash my hair with shampoo once a week. But you wash it other times with conditioner? With water and conditioner. And then when I leave the shower... I put on this fancy thing that my friend gave me, who's a hairstylist, a leave-in conditioner, which is all sort of new for me. I go through waves. Sometimes I just want to shave this shit off because I'm like, it's so much fucking work. But then I'm like, oh, I really love it. Same. So last question is, what do you do if you're feeling down about yourself? Dance, honey. Put on a song. Put on something sexy. I mean, for me, I love to wear like really tight underwear sometimes or just dance naked if you can. And just put on a really sexy song and dance that shit out. But again, remember, intention is everything. Your intention for doing anything, like, that is the key. If you bring to your mind, my intention for dance right now is for me to awaken my heart, for me to liberate myself, for me to feel better, for me to help other people feel better. If you bring that intention to your dance, boom, then you're doing the work. Physiologically, psychologically, and spiritually, you're transforming yourself. I think the problem is we never attach intention to practices. That's what ritual is about. Just attaching a powerful meaning, a meaning that reconnects us with our hearts. So dance that shit out. I think that's, that will be such a powerful practice. Breathe. I mean, the, the list goes on, but I think dancing is one thing that a lot of people are so disconnected from their body that I think the dancing will be such an easy entry level for people to be like, oh, okay, I caught a little glimpse of freedom. 
You are amazing and we love you so much. So thank you so much. That was honestly the funnest hour and like could listen to you for forever. Oh my goodness, you guys. We don't usually fangirl this much about people either. Like we don't do this without guests. (laughs) (laughs) This is a very special circumstance. Oh my God, I'm slowly blushing. I love you all. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. You guys are amazing. I'm so honored and grateful. Oh. That is just too good. I feel like since discovering Saar, my life has literally been changed. His approach to self-help and spirituality is really so like no other. And it's really allowed me to create my own space within like the spiritual world and figure out what my journey needs to look like as opposed to just trying to follow everybody else's. Mm, So good. I think I'm going to listen to that one every few months going forward because there were just so many reminders in there that I totally, totally needed. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and we are so excited to see you in two weeks' time. We'll see you then. Bye.